Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, Pastor Kyle, for allowing me to be a part of this. Um, really excited. And you know what? To be honest, Sock Center feels kind of like home to me because I'm from a town of about 4,000 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's called Sarver. Anybody heard of Sarver? Yeah, I didn't think so. Didn't think so. About 4,000 of us there. But it kind of, I love the, the small communities. And I love communities like yours. And uh, so I'm excited to share with you some things this morning. What's interesting is that coming from a place like Sarver uh, makes it all the more strange, like how in the world did I end up in China? Like it doesn't really compute. You know, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And I was, I was raised with a healthy uh, understanding of the world. And, and we did mission trips and all those kind of things. Uh, we had a respect for other cultures, but China was not on the radar. That's why it was so surprising in 2001, when I went on my first trip to China, um, I, went with a, I went with a group, an, an organization, I was blown away. It changed everything. And then my wife, one year later, went with me in 2002, and to be honest, I, I, I can't say it any other way, but it changed the entire trajectory of our lives. China wasn't on our radar. That's why uh, Corey just said, go on trips, go on trips. Because God can get a hold of you in ways that you didn't see coming. And that's what happened to me. Um, and that's what happened to my wife. And uh, they changed, it changed everything. I mean, you can see the makeup of our family. That, that God placed a, a heart, our, our heart for adoption from China. And so it's an absolutely amazing part of our journey. Um, and so... Those first couple trips, we went, to be honest, my first trip, I came back and within six months, I was working for the organization. I quit my job and I was working for the organization that led those trips. And, um, you know, I did that for about eight years. My wife and I did that together. We actually worked together. I was her boss. She would, and we survived that whole experience, that episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, um, we did that for about seven or eight years. And then it just wasn't enough to go for two weeks. It wasn't enough to lead a team and work with other long-term workers. And so we decided, and God placed on our hearts to move to China. We said for one year. Well, one year turned into seven years. And uh, we had an amazing time there. And we're so thankful and blessed for all of the, the, the time that we spent there. In 2015, we re returned here to the States. And uh, I like to say it this way, that we left China, but China never really left us. Uh, it still was a part of our hearts. And so for these last couple of years, we've been trying to figure out how in the world do we get back to Chinese ministry. Um, and amazingly, about two years ago, the doors started opening up for us to start a campus ministry on the, on the uh, University of Minnesota campus, Twin Cities. And uh, so that's what we did. We stepped out and we started this. We feel like God has sort of evolved our call. Before it was China the place, now it's China the people. It's evolved a bit because, to be honest, the nations are coming to us. That happened. You know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but in, in, uh, on the University of Minnesota campus, there are approximately, now this is historically, these last couple of years have been weird, right? I mean, we can just admit that. But historically, there's 3,000 international students from China on one campus, the U of M campus. And so that's a huge opportunity uh, to welcome them to pour into their lives, 
to walk alongside and journey with them. These are leaders that are going to go back to China and have an impact. They're going to have, uh, they're going to make a difference in China. So if we can walk with them and journey with them here and see their lives change, then I think great things can happen. Um, uh, right now, what we do, we focus a lot on three levels of interaction with the students. One is outdoor activities. We take them out on hikes. We go ice fishing. Any ice fishing people? Right, okay. Um, we do a little bit of those things. We go climbing, we go camping, we do all those kinds of things. And then um, the next level of interaction is meals around the table. Just this past Friday, we had seven students into our home and you have great conversations and, and neat things happen around the table. And then we move on from there into one-on-ones and Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. So um, we're just so excited. Uh, I've got lots of great stories, but God is doing some cool stuff with the students. Last year we had dinner at our house and, and three students came and, and I don't know how we even got there because they were curious, but we got into this conversation about God and one of them, had, she just said out of nowhere, kind of like, yeah, I had another friend that told me about Jesus. So I started reading some stories from the Bible, but I'm not a believer yet, but I think Jesus was pretty cool. I can work with that, <laughs> Right. So like that's something that we say, uh, you know, that's the kind of interactions that we're getting to have in our home. And so we're so thankful and blessed. And I want to thank you for sending us out. We're one of those 50 that you send out and you support. So thank you so much uh, for that and for allowing me to be here this morning. Okay, I want to jump right into a message this morning that I feel like um, God has dropped on my heart for you uh, and for the church and I think we'll jump right in this morning uh, in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever, you can turn to that. But I think it'll be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And that day is the day that Stephen uh, was killed for his faith. He was martyred. Um, and so... Uh, on that day, great persecution broke out against the church. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Really encouraging, right? <laughs> Let me say that last line again, though. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The idea of movement, and particularly migration, is a part of God's story. God's people covering ground, and God's kingdom expanding as a result. It's really not just a part of the story, it's actually the plan. It's what God intended. We saw it in the passage we just read, but that's far from the only place in Scripture that we see this idea of movement and migration. You look at the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. The intention from the beginning was that Abraham and one nation would be blessed. They were chosen. They were blessed. But then they would cover ground, and they would march out. And they would move into other areas, move into other nations in order to expand the blessing, to open up the blessing for others. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is called uh, by the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 say this. The Lord 
had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Migration, movement. In Deuteronomy, I think this is a really interesting passage. Moses is relaying the Ten Commandments. He's about to to, uh, relay the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. Um, And he says this, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. Even the commands that God gave were not just for the people, but they were so that the nations would have something to look at. The nations would have something to look at. Those outside of the chosen, those outside of the followers of God would have something to look at and see that would point them back to God. The Old Testament, the nation of Israel, was scattering for the purpose of expanding the kingdom. But that is not just in the Old Testament. It's obviously in the New Testament as well. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Over and over again, if you read in the Gospels, you see that it says Jesus was on the way to this village. He was moving across miles to this town. And then they went to the north. And then they went to the south. They were on the move, spreading the good news right? They were on the move spreading the good news. Jesus' teaching had a movement feel to it. He sent out the 72 in different, in different places and said, you go to the villages now. You move on out. It's not just us together, but you go out and you do it. His last words to the disciples were the charge to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The entire book of Acts, if you read in your Bible, the entire book of Acts really is one big story of the movement of the gospel. The movement of the good news of Jesus. Go back to that, the the passage that we were in in in, uh, Acts chapter 8. A little later on in Acts, we see this same group of persecuted people, and now they're moving further out. Acts chapter 11, read with me here. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to God. Now, there's significance in this passage because they're still expanding, they're still spreading, they're still being scattered out, but now they're not just talking to the Jewish people. Oh, now they're crossing cultures. Now they're beginning to talk to the Greeks. Now they're beginning to plant churches among other nations, among the internationals. So there is embedded in scripture this idea of God's people and his word spreading out and scattering from where it's known to where it's not yet known. 
Here's the key. The promise and the blessing was never meant to stay in one place. It was always meant to go out to the furthest reaches of the world. Throughout history, there have been three really significant bursts of church growth. The first is the one I just described to you, the early church. They were um, persecuted and they scattered, but the church grew. The church multiplied. The church exploded in growth. The second example, when you look back in, in uh, history, is the Chinese church, as recently as the last maybe 100 years, when missionaries were forced out of China and then with the Cultural Revolution, the thought was that, that, that they would snuff out Christianity, that it would go away. The exact opposite happened. The church in China exploded in growth to where today it's really hard to estimate numbers, but some people say anywhere from 50 to 80 million Chinese Christians live within China. That's fantastic. That's good news. You wouldn't realize it, right? You wouldn't know it. A lot of them have, are, are forced underground, so, so you don't even really know the number because a lot of them don't even want you to know. <laughs> so you have to, um, but it's just amazing the kind of growth that happened there. And then let's skip to present-day Iran, Right? You hear about it a little bit, maybe in the news, right? In present day, Iran is experiencing a revival that's unprecedented, just like these other, well, I guess it is precedented <laughs> by China and the early church, but it's exploding in growth. I just read a, a, a quote um, that says that about 20 years ago, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between 5,000 and 10,000 people in Iran that that could identify. Today, that's between 800,000 to 1 million people. That's massive growth in 20 years. According to Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelic, evangelical movement in the world. They're multiplying. They're spreading. They're scattering, right? Something is going on there. Nothing compares to the magnitude and the massive mobilization of people and the expansion of the kingdom in these three very different and distinct periods of time. The one thing you can look at in common when we read and we understand these, uh, these stories and these three is that they were forced to scatter because of persecution. Every one of those churches, they faced persecution. The early church, persecution, scattered, church grows. China. Persecution, scatter, church grows. Iran, persecution, church scatters. People scatter, church grows. Amazing growth because of persecution. In the scattering, they took individual responsibility to be God's messengers and to spread God's, the gospel and expand the kingdom of God wherever they happened to end up, and the result was amazing. So we see it. We see migration, we see movement, we see scattering, and that's where the growth happens. On the other hand, when we look at scripture, we also very clearly see the idea of community, of us gathering together, joining together, 
to encourage one another, to pray for one another, like you just did here. Coming together to grow in our faith, to hear a message, to be taught, to encourage one another. So we have this idea of community, too. You know, in the book of Acts, there was scattering, but there were also churches being planted. Talk about the church in Ephesus and the church in Antioch. So there were gatherings that were popping up. In the scripture, in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake meeting together. Continue to meet together. Come together. Have this sense of community. Your church is an example of the gathering, right? The coming together of things, that idea of community. And it's great. I look, you guys are full of life, and it's so cool to be here, to see you praying for one another, see people here in the early service praying. What a powerful thing. It's important. This gathering is important. And it's all through the scripture as well. So I think it's fair to say that the concepts of gathering and scattering are both well represented in the Bible and in church history. I like, to say it, I like to say it this way, though. The church is at its best when we gather and scatter, when we do both. The church is at its best when we come together, we recharge, and then we scatter. And then we come together again. We encourage one another. We learn a little bit. And then we scatter and we spread that news to the rest of the people. Unfortunately... Or fortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, persecution eventually subsides. For the early church, what's interesting is that in 313 AD, Constantine made it not illegal anymore to be a Christian. Guess what? Christians stopped being on the run. We can settle down a little bit. We don't have to worry about scattering so much. We don't have to worry about being so careful. Christianity lost its subversive edge and it became intertwined with the empire. And when you're not worried about persecution, you can settle down a bit. You can forget about scattering and really focus on the gathering. And unfortunately, today in a lot of our churches, we have an unhealthy balance. 90% of our effort is, and 90% of our participation is this hour every Sunday morning. We put our effort into this. We put our hard work. We roll up our sleeves. We put it into this. And you get up, and you get up earlier than you want to on a Sunday morning, and you get here. But 90% of our effort and 90% of our participation is right here. We've never been forced to scatter. And so unless we are motivated and disciplined, we settle for the gathering. And it's heartbreaking because there's so much work to be done. Now listen, again, I'm not trying to say, this gathering is critical. It's critical. But just like I said, we need to gather and then we need to scatter. Okay? So we know what a good gathering looks like. You have one right here. We know what it looks like. In fact, many of us have become sort of even critics about gatherings, right? I mean, we have such good gatherings that we're able to look around and go like, ah, oh, I don't know, man, that music was a little, uh, oh, this sound is a little bit too, I don't really like the lights, I don't like, 
we focus so much on the gathering, and we're all even critics at it. We're experts at the gathering, right? So we know what a good one looks like. But what does it look like for us to scatter? What does it look like for you as a church to scatter? I think quite simply, it looks like obedience. Obedience to two of Jesus' most critical and most important teachings that we find in Scripture. The Great Commandments and the Great Commission. We're going to look at the two of those today. The Great Commandments have us focusing on our neighbors. The Great Commission has us focusing on the nations. And they're both absolutely critical aspects of our obedience if we're truly following Jesus. Let's look at the great commandments. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is being tested by the religious leaders of the day. They say, what's the most important commandment? And he says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's heavy. Jesus is saying everything hinges on this. Love God and love your neighbor. Right? Everything hinges on this. I want you to think about this for just a second. When you leave this place, you have an immediate and a very local sphere of influence. No one else holds the keys that you have to unlock the kingdom in the hearts of your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. No one else holds those keys. You have them. That's powerful when we understand it. You're connecting with people on a regular basis that need you to obey this command, love your neighbor if they are to have any chance of hearing the gospel and knowing Jesus. So there's so much potential. And there's a clear directive from Jesus. Why is it then so hard to love these people and share the greatest gift we've ever received with them? Why is it so hard? Two things I think we need to do for us to be able to do this a little bit better. The first is we need to step back and understand lostness, okay? We need to understand, we need to think about lostness. I'm not sure we totally have the heart of God when we look at our neighbors, when we look at our coworkers, when we look at our classmates, when we look at people who aren't believers, when we look at people who aren't yet Christians. I'm not sure we have the same attitude and the same heart as God does towards them. Luke chapter 15, there's three parables that Jesus relays. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, right? You find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say the parable of the frustrating coin, the parable of the naughty sheep, the parable of the terrible son. He doesn't say this. 
Because here's the deal. It's about lostness, not badness. People that are non-believers, people that are unbelievers, our neighbors that aren't yet people of faith, they're not bad, they're lost. And if we can understand that, if we can get God's heart in that, I'm telling you, it will move us into action more and more. Because think about it this way. If you go into a mall and you see a kid that is lost, I mean, he is bawling, crying, looking for his mom, looking for his dad. It's obvious that he has lost. Your heart is moved with compassion. And your response is to go up to that child, possibly, and to help them get reconnected to their family. Help them get reconnected to someone who's taking care of them, to someone who loves them. Now contrast that with you walk into a mall and you see a kid that is just terrible, kicking his mom, kicking his dad, pulling things off the shelves. Are you moved with compassion? Do you want to go intervene? Usually not. You want to say, I just, poor mom. You know what I'm saying? You walk away. You don't want to get involved because all you do, you're just looking at them and you're looking at their actions and you're thinking bad, bad, bad. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That's our attitude so often, too often, towards our neighbors. Wrong ideas, wrong politics, bad this, bad behavior. What we need to see is see our neighbors, see our coworkers, see our classmates the way Jesus does. Lost son, lost daughter, lost child. I want them back so bad. I think if we can really grip and grasp the Father's heart, we'll begin to do things differently. We'll begin to see our neighbors differently. It's not easy to love our neighbors. Uh, it's, it's easier to say, I love the whole world. Oh, I love all people. But then when you zero in on that one, that's where it gets a little bit difficult, right? There's a quote. Um, my family does a, 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 a book list every year. We pick a book a month to read and um, like classics and different things like that. And Brothers Karamazov, uh, uh, the, the great novel, Russian novel, there's a, there's a page where uh, one of the characters is just struggling and he says, I love mankind, but I find to my amazement that the more I love mankind as a whole, the less I love individual people. We can say it because it's easy to like blur it out. I love all of you right now. But when I zero in, when I zoom in, that's harder. But God zeroes in and all he sees is lostness. So in, in our response of obedience to the great commandment, love your neighbor, that's one thing that can help. The other thing is, I think we need to overcome our fear. Listen, it's not easy to do this because you see these people every day, right? You see them every day. And when you, when you step out, there's a risk involved. Sometimes we say, I don't know if I want to do it because that relationship is too complicated. I don't really want to go there. 
It's going to get messy. It's going to get ugly. I don't know if I want to go there. But to be honest, I think we need to overcome fear. Here's something I'm just going to say, just that maybe a mild rebuke to all of us, myself included here, we have an obsession with comfort and safety. We're not willing to take risks. We kind of liked hunker down, shelter in place in some ways. You know, we, we, we say things are too dangerous now. It's too dangerous to get into that, that relationship. My schedule's too busy, everything. But, but, but it's just, I'd rather just stay comfortable and safe. Did you notice that in our culture, we have sort of an obsession with, with this? We're, we're kind of risk averse, right? We don't want to take the risk. We don't want to do the, the, uh, the, the thing that, that puts us out of our comfort zone. We have a lot of comfort involved in our culture. Sleep number beds, comfort pillows, comfort shoes, ergonomically designed forks, chairs, desks. This is no joke. I once read an, art, an advertisement in Target for one of those radio flyer wagons. Who had a radio flyer red wagon that you pull behind, right? You know, yours probably had like rusty bolts sticking up through and it was like holes in it and wheels squeaking and everything like that. This is a, a recent advertisement for the Radio Flyer wagon. The Radio Flyer from Target. The Radio Flyer Ultimate Comfort Wagon gives your children endless hours of fun. It comes with seat belts for safety. The seats are padded for comfort and can be folded in five ways providing kids with several riding options. This red kid's wagon has a removable canopy that protects your child from the elements. It has large, extra large Dura-Tread tires for a noiseless ride. Designed with front axles, this wagon offers safe and non-flip turning. What is the point of that? The whole point of those wagons was so that you could flip people out, right? Its expandable rear storage space can hold toys and snacks and can be folded when not in use. The Radio Flyer wagon with canopy also has cup holders to keep beverages handy. Listen, we are in a risk-averse society. Don't worry about your comfort so much. Don't worry about your safety so much. There are people that are lost, and they deserve our full effort. They deserve us taking a risk every now and again so that they can be reconnected to Jesus. Joe Gordon, uh, uh, missionary to Asia, said it this way, the only thing more dangerous than climbing a mountain is sitting on a couch watching someone climb a mountain. But that's what we do. We, sit, we watch seven people go on the mission trip instead of going ourselves, right? Okay, it's absolutely critical that we love our neighbors and reach the lost in our community, but not and never to the exclusion of the nations. You see, there's that other passage that we talked about, and I'll go through this quickly, called the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 8, 28, verse 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The thing I think we need to understand 
and that will help us as we try to be obedient to the Great Commission is that we need to understand lost people versus lost peoples. The fact of the matter is that there are lost people everywhere, right? Your neighbor, we, we talked about that already. There are lost people everywhere. But it's here that we have to draw a distinction between lost people and lost peoples. This is not an issue of lostness when we start talking about the nations. It's not an issue of lostness. This is an issue of access to the gospel. Here's an example. Bloomington, the city where I live. We have plenty of non-believers. But those non-believers are within striking distance of the 393 evangelical Protestant churches in Hennepin County. And chances are there's a solid Bible-believing Christian within a few blocks of every neighborhood in the city. Contrast that with the fact that there are 42% of the world's population that have never heard the name of Jesus, that don't have a church they can get to, that don't have the Bible translated in the language that they can read, 42% of the people don't have access. And God has called us, Jesus has called us to do something about that. It can't just be about our neighbor. It has to also be about the nations. We should not sleep until we know that everybody has had a chance. That should be what we work towards. We have to understand that difference. It's not just about lost people. It's about lost peoples. And when we understand that 42% of the world doesn't have access to the gospel, that should move us. It should move us to be about the nations. The other thing I think we need to do when it comes to obeying the Great Commission is we need to overcome the very dangerous misperce misperception that the work of global missions is reserved for a few. It's not. It's for all of us. Some of you, you sit there and you go, I get the neighbor thing. I got it. I got it. I'll love my neighbor more. But I don't really care about the nations. We've got enough problems here. I don't care about that. Listen, we don't have the luxury of making that decision. We don't get to choose. This is a both-and issue. I, you, you know, people will say, I'm not called to global missions. You're 100% correct. None of us are. We're called to Jesus. But it's quite clear that Jesus has a heart for the nations. So if we have a heart like his, we should have a heart for the nations. I'm really not convinced that we need a special call to the nations. You're calling to your neighbor and the nations comes the minute you become a disciple, the minute you become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to read a quote this is a challenging quote from Robert Speer. He says, There is a general obligation resting upon Christians to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached to the world. You and I need no special call to apply that general call of God to our lives. We do need a special call to exempt us from it. If people are to have special calls for anything, they ought to have special calls to go about their business, to have a nice time, all their lives, to choose the soft places, to make money, and to gratify their own ambitions. He says this, there is the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We say, that's for other people. Then on the other hand, there's the promise, oh, come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We say, oh, that one, that one's for me. We demand special divine indication that we fall under the command, yet we ask for no such special divine indication that we fall under the promise. Remember this, too. Every act of service to our neighbors, which is important and which is critical, is not fulfilling the task of missions to the nations. Every demonstration of love for my neighbor is not fulfilling necessarily the task of missions to the nations. We need to understand that we need to do both. I'm going to read one more scripture, Acts chapter 1, verses 8. Jesus, as he's telling the disciples, basically, okay, it's in your hands now. This is your work now. He says this, or the passage says this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's what I want you to understand. This is about neighbor, Jerusalem, and it's about nations, the ends of the earth. And this is not like a video game where you have to pass one level before you get to the next. You don't have to reach everybody here before you start thinking about the nations. We go, we, we, we love our neighbor, then we move out and we get our eye on the nations. And then we come back and we love our neighbor, and then we love the nations. And we send missionaries, and we give to, to, to um, missions at our church. We're doing both, and it's back and it's forth. We have one eye on the nations and one eye on our neighbors. That's the kind of obedience. That's what scattering looks like. Scattering looks like that. We're doing something about our neighbors, and we're doing something about the nations. Now, I want to say one warning here. There is a danger sometimes of allowing what we are doing as a church to sort of absolve you from your personal responsibility. We get to say, oh, my church sent seven people to Atlanta. Look what we did. Look at all the boxes that we came up with to send to Operation Christmas Child. Look at what we did. And it is great to celebrate that, but what did you do? Because this is not a corporate responsibility. This is an individual responsibility. You have responsibility to your neighbors. You have responsibility to the nations. When we scatter, we personally take that responsibility for our, for our sphere. We don't scatter as a group. We scatter as individuals. My challenge to you is that you would scatter the gospel to your neighbors, that you would get involved in ways to scatter the gospel to the nations. Maybe that means you go. Maybe that means you send a missionary. Maybe that means you give. But regardless of exactly what it looks like, and I know Pastor Kyle is going to challenge you in this coming year with missions, regardless of what it exactly looks like, you have an eye on the nations because that's obedience to Jesus, and that's what scattering looks like, and that's where growth is going to come for each of us. I want to invite the worship team to come on back up, and I have, there's, there's one story, a picture that I have in mind that I think 
just really wraps itself around this idea of scattering in a unique way. You know that we uh, lived in China, and we had the incredible experience of celebrating a couple of Chinese New Year's in China. And uh, I lived in a small city of six million that you've never heard of, Kunming. Um, but one thing that's so interesting about uh, uh, Chinese New Year in China, I mean, they set off fireworks, okay? Now, here, we think about it this way a lot of times. We might do one of those little things down here, but generally speaking, the professionals set off the big fireworks. What happens is all of us gather together, we go to the viewing location, and we find the best seat we can, we spread out a blanket, and we sit there and we wait, and then all of a the sudden there's this amazing show, right? It's cool, but I'm telling you something, it is nothing compared to what happens in China. Everybody is lighting off the big ones. I'm not kidding you, it, the entire sky, for a week, people are lighting off fireworks. But that night of Chinese New Year, when you look out, we, we went to a friend's house, we were on the 11th floor balcony, I'm getting chills thinking about it. We look out and you pan around the entire city and there are displays everywhere. Everyone is involved. Everyone is adding to the spectacle. And it's truly amazing. That's the picture of the church scattering. The sky is filled. You're adding your creativity. You're reaching the people you can reach. And you are personally adding to the spectacle. And the display is amazing. That's what we're going for. That's what I hope you can take from this. That's the challenge I leave with you today. Do your part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the chance to be here. God, I thank you for the chance to share. And Lord, I pray for this church that each one would consider today what their part is. As we, as we enter into worship, would you help each one of us to quiet ourselves and our spirits and, and help us to respond to you, Father, right now in this moment.